Welcome back to the Smart Girl Politics Podcast. This is episode 155, and I am Terry Kristoff, joined as always by Kira Davis out on the, well, I, there are wildfires, hot, hot Southern California. Yeah. It's not been too bad. Hi, everybody. Yes, hello. It's not been too bad of a, uh, of a fire season. I mean, relatively speaking, obviously we have fire season. That's why it's called fire season. So we expect fires. Um, it seems like it's creeping up on Pacific Palisades, and I don't know what that is at all, other than it seems like a place where rich and famous people would live. It just sounds like it, but maybe that's not right. You know what? Naturally, someone is using a leaf blower directly outside. <laughs> I can't hear it. <laughs> okay, I'll keep going. That's normally, yes, normally the, the, the people can pull up with the industrial size blowers and mowers and um, yeah. come right outside your window in my garage so it comes like my studio's in my garage oh, so nice. it comes through someday when i'm rich and, and famous i'll have this whole garage just soundproofed, you know, soundproofed. Yeah. i have to deal with my neighbors coming in and out and i have i have two neighbors who are the loveliest people in the world they're a young single couple um but they're they're gorgeous and they're successful and they're wealthy and they never go anywhere. So they're just in and out all day and they're like with their cars, like, you know, oh. errand or they go out and like do one of their businesses really quick. Like they have a lot of businesses and, uh, and it's just like, I actually get resentful that they're home all the time. It's like, I'm home all the time, but I'm supposed to be home all the time. <laughs> they're supposed to be out working and stuff. So there's always weird noises going on. Anyways, I get that too. I get that too. I'm like, I'm the only one allowed to work from home. I know. Right. I just feel very resentful. <laughs> I'm supposed to be home. You guys are young and pretty. Go out and work. <laughs> All right. Well, so it doesn't sound like fires are too bad. So that's good. I just was reading the oh, Pacific yeah. Palisades and I was like, that seems like we're like, I don't know. Clint Eastwood would have a place. I don't well, know. Here's the deal. The thing about Southern California is all of the, you know, the premium land is on hills, right? Because that's where you, how you get your views. That's how you can see the ocean. That's how you can see, look, overlook everywhere. So, so the hills are where people love to live, but the hills are the most vulnerable to fire because the fire, if it starts at the bottom, it's going to rage uphill, right? It's easier right. for it to go up. So that's why you do see a lot of these fires in wealthy areas and you think, oh gosh, why, why is it spreading so fast? And why does it always seem like it's the rich people <laughs> and are in trouble? But that's why, because that's kind of. Gotcha. That they're living in. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, we don't have anything like that over here on the East Coast, but we do have the Nats going to the World Series starting tonight. So woo, go Nats. Now, we don't have any sponsors this week, but I did kind of figure Smart Girl could sponsor Smart Girl because I wanted to let everybody know that we have a website that we're developing and it's based off of this cool platform called Substack. Um, so this new site for us is Smart Girl. Substack.com. And it's going to be how we send out our newsletter. It's a newsletter platform. It's kind of a blog and it's kind of like Patreon. It's a bunch of cool things for creators all together. So we're trying it out where there will be daily posts and a weekly newsletter. I sent out a little questionnaire or just kind of a plea to some of our newsletter subscribers last week asking them 
what would be helpful? What would you want to see out of it? And it was great, a bunch of great information. And I think Substack is the right platform to do what people want. Because some people like something every day, they want to read something every day. So I'm going to be doing that, putting up posts and, and linking to some things that are important on every day. And then some people just want the weekly recap of what's going on. And that's cool, too. So um, go over to smartgirl.substack.com and check it out. There's not a whole lot there yet, but there will be. We'll be posting the podcast there too, in addition to all the other places where it gets posted. Uh, I think just trying some new things because I don't understand. Nobody understands the algorithm at Facebook, but um, I, I do get the feeling like I posted something, maybe a little snarky about Obama a couple weeks ago. And I wonder about the the ability to have things like that reach people. Like we have some posts, like I said, I was telling Kira earlier that about a period, you know, period equality day or whatever just happened happened, and I posted something about it, which went wild and crazy. And then something that's not so, you know evocative doesn't get much traction at all. So that's why I felt like it was important to have something maybe that's a little less social media oriented, like the Substack, where we can put some of our information over there and have some of our discussions over there so that we're not getting penalized by this strange and wondrous algorithm of places like Facebook and Twitter. So just explaining a little bit, but it's also nice to have that too, to have a little platform where you can blog and and whatever. We'll see where it goes, but go check it out again. It's smart smartgirl.substack.com and we will be you can sign up for the newsletter over there too um it's kind of a cool new thing and it's just starting out i think it's only a few years old so we'll see what happens but so there smart girl politics podcast is brought to you by the smart girl politics new website at substack yes i just want to say if there's anyone out there who's thinking why would i sign up for a newsletter because I think a lot of people are like, I don't need any more stuff in my sure, inbox. Sure, I get it. But there are a few newsletters that I, as an op-ed journalist, sign up for just because they recap the stories of the day. And that's good. So you're not having to flow. If you want information, but you don't want to spend all day like I do for my job, like scouring the internet for interesting stories or 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 doing research on what's true and what's fake news – if you signed up for a, a, a newsletter from a site that you trust, from an organization that you trust, then, you know, you can know that you're getting good information every day. You're getting the most interesting stories of the day recapped for you, summarized for you. And if you trust us, then then that's a good thing to kind of like save you time from scouring the news cycle. But keep keep yourself informed. So I highly recommend it. Yeah. And it was really interesting. I got a great feedback from our newsletter subscribers, a ton of it. And it, there were definitely a couple things that people want more of. They want more politics. So I'm like, all right. Yeah. I mean, it's 2020. It's there's yeah. no lack of politics. Then they wanted more about conservative women, which when Smart Girl started in 2008, it was such a thing because of Sarah Palin, like conservative women were like the hot ticket. They were going to save everything. And honestly, conservative women were the driving force behind the Tea Party for the most part. Uh, but that's waned because there just haven't been that many uh, women out there that have galvanized the way a Sarah Palin has. So people want that, though, still to, to hear about conservative women. So I think we should do a little bit more of that. Then they obviously they want a little bit of culture. Um, so I think it was really good advice because I, I we've been going very heavy on culture because it's really it, what was Breitbart's 
saying it's upstream cultures upstream politics is i always get it wrong but it's that they're very related that's the that's the breitbart quote um so i hadn't gotten too political political but also i think they still want smart girl to be the anti-feminist voice or the voice of actual feminism so it was really good feedback and kind of helped sort of right the ship and, and and refocus and i will definitely try to do that over on the blog area so thank you for everybody that responded because i was blown away by the n- number of people that actually did respond and had really good good specific information and so i think hopefully this new site is going to make most people happy and um yeah so i'll get to be back into doing some daily stuff so coolio there i did want to ask you kira because i know that you had another fox news hit this past week any good behind the scenes stuff anything see anybody anything in the green room good snacks what what do you get what are the perks makeup makeup (laughs) (sighs) i love the makeup I love the makeup artists at Fox and I have one lady that I request every time I go in because she's the best and also she's just super cool. Um, but yeah, no, I, I actually love going. I usually do. It's Steve Hilton's show that I do most of the time. And it's it's fun. Like the crew's really great. And we just kind of have fun joking around while I go in there. But I don't find no offense to Steve. He does. He probably has the best panel show on Fox right now, if you ask me. Um, but. I don't find panel shows all that fun to do because <laughs> you get, you know, 30 seconds to a minute to make a point. Um, there's not a lot of discovery going on. It's just commentary, but it's always fun. You know, it's always fun. The lights, the cameras, but I have no juicy. <sighs> I, was on, I was on with policy wonks the other night. So it was Tammy Bruce and this other guy from the Trump administration. And, um, and he was like economics wonk. Mm. And, uh, was just like a little bit dry and maybe some of the stuff admittedly went a little over my head (laughs) (laughs) i know you said the word policy and i started to nod off i'm like i mean luckily nobody asked for more policy at the on the smart girl podcast or newsletter so i was like thank god because me trying to explain policy is not great no me neither that's not my place so yeah but i was i always enjoyed myself over there they have a great they really do have a great crew, one of the best crews I've worked with. So just and, and you're so fancy that people don't understand. Like, I don't share my appearances on Fox very much with my friends and family because most of them are liberal. And to them, it's like faux news. She's going on right, faux right, right. news again. But what people don't understand about Fox is Fox is just a business. It's just a place of employment. Like plenty of people are liberal at Fox. Yes. Plenty of liberals working at Fox. They're just going there to do their their job. They're, they operate the cameras. They edit the footage. They, the conservatives are on TV, but that's it. It's just a place where people work. Yep. Yeah. It's hard to think. But, I mean, uh, conversely, I doubt that that's the same way at CNN. I think it's a cult over there. No, I bet there are plenty of conservatives working behind the scenes over there, but they probably just can't. I have heard that. And I, I admire anybody that can put up with that for a job because I don't think I would, but um, I think you're probably right. So interesting. I like getting the behind the scenes if there's ever, you know, like, ooh, snacks, anything fun that we don't get to see, don't but get snacks. Nope. <laughs> no free like coffee cup. No, nothing. Nothing. Jeez. No. That's pretty rough. Yep. Yep. It's tough. It's All tough. right. It's tough. Well, but we we you know what we should talk about Terry. We should mention briefly 
Is periods? Can they, can they, no. We don't need to talk about everything. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm batting around this op-ed about we don't have to talk about everything. I'd prefer I'm, not I'm, to, but yeah. With everyone. But um, the Canadians had an election last night. Yes. Prime Minister Blackface won. Unsurprisingly. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so four more years of, of him, at least. I don't. Even I don't even know what the cap is on leadership in Canada, but I I think it's, it's your six- country. I know <laughs> it's your place of birth, and I think they may have changed it, but I think it might be sixteen years. Like I think you can serve three, four terms. Oof, that's a long sure. time. So, um, but again, Canadians couldn't resist the legacy you know trudeau is just right the team he's yeah. running on he's not an effective prime minister and, and even my liberal friends and family don't like him but they would rather a got a, a racist <laughs> than uh you know the the conservative candidate who for us is not very conservative but for canada you know is is fairly conservative and i was talking to a friend on facebook the other night i made a joke about prime minister blackface uh-oh. And that's what we call him from now on. I made a joke about about how Obama endorsed him but wouldn't endorse Joe Biden. <laughs> yes. One, which is hilarious to me. And one of my Canadian friends said, well, have you seen our choices, though? Like, we're up against it. And I'm, and I'm like, yeah, OK, thank you. I don't want to hear any more bitching about President Trump and how, God, how could we elect a guy like President Trump? We were in the same position in 2016. Just because you think Hillary, because she has a vagina, that she's like noble and good, doesn't mean that she was. We had a tough choice to make in 2016. We went with a choice that we thought would get us closer to prosperity and success. So I don't want to hear anyone lecturing us Americans about the choices we Mm -hmm. make with candidates you guys just selected prime minister blackface so take several seats there you go and he he lost his majority right though so he's there might be like a little bit of uh sand in the gears there to slow him down listen yeah parliamentary politics is is complicated i think the americans do it right even though we complain a lot about uh, only having a two-party system it's actually way better for um getting things done and for help, help make a choice, it's super complicated up there in Canada. But yeah, th- he's lost his majority. Um, so yeah, there's definitely going to be some turmoil in the Canadian government moving forward, and we'll we'll see how that that goes. We'll keep an eye on it. We don't care that much. About <laughs> we like to make fun of them when we can, and. Uh... You know, Trudeau is always good fodder for that kind of thing. Now, you were talking about reasons why Trump won and and blah, 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 the whole thing. You had an article at Red State this week that you wanted to talk about, about uh, stunning – I have the name of it – stunning snobbery. Former USDA scientist laments agencies moved to Missouri as the death of expertise, which I actually I think feeds right into what you're talking about, um, you know, why Trump is elected and why Trump may be reelected and, and just kind of the general attitudes about middle America that some of us in DC may have, not all of us, but some of us. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's just indicative of the bubble. So this scientist, he was working at the USDA. And as you know, Trump has had promised that he was going to start moving, going to try to move some agencies out of DC started with the 
USDA. They found a location in Kansas City. They're going to move out there. Well, they have moved. And um, they said, you know, you can move with us. Like, you're not losing your job. Just you need to relocate. That's where we're going. And, of course, the these are government workers. And they're like, what? We have the right to work where we want to work and live where we want to live. We shouldn't have to move to keep our jobs. How dare you? So, so of the 568 employees, I think 140 moved. And this scientist was one of one of the ones who chose not to. He wrote this op-ed and it was so whiny. And so he was talking about how, you know, this is going to end the the uh, reputation of the USDA. We were doing studies. We were doing you don't need to live next to a cornfield to study a cornfield. We were considering the questions that would affect, you know, all of all of Americans. And if we can't do our work you know, the, the experts are here in D.C. America is going to lose. Americans are losing because now all the experts are gone. Now they moved to Kansas City and they're not taking their top minds with them. And I thought it was so arrogant because, first of all, they offered you to keep your job. You don't want to move to Kansas City. That's fine. That's your choice. Quit, which is what he did. Should I feel sorry for you that you quit? No, you had the choice and you didn't choose to go to Kansas City for whatever reasons. That's on you. That's fine. No judgment there. But the idea that the greatest minds in the world are only within a 10 square mile radius of that dude in downtown Washington, D.C., it's so arrogant. There are incredible minds. There's amazing culture. There's amazing there's an amazing arts community in what we deem flyover country. And the attitude on the coasts seems to be that the real American life is on the coasts. And then everything that exists in between only exists to support the life on the coasts. And it's, I think people are so sick and tired of that attitude is what we call elitist. And it's a thing. People are so sick and tired of it. They're like, you're it's snobby. I can't think of, a better word it's snobby it's so arrogant like the midwest has some of the the best agricultural mm-hmm. colleges it's nation what how dare this guy say that they're not going to find the kansas city's only full of idiots and they're not going to find anyone that can do the work that he did by the way i do want to make this point he said you don't have to live near a cornfield to study a cornfield well i don't know maybe when you you are studying things that affect policy decisions for the agricultural community, maybe you should be in that agricultural community so you can actually study up close how the proposed policies will affect the people they're aimed at. I don't know. I'm not a scientist. That might sound crazy, but <laughs> it, it seems like to make sense to me. But I think you're absolutely right, Terry. This to to coin a smart girl phrase. This is how we got Trump. <laughs> It is. And it reminds me of like college professors who teach, uh, I'll use business, like they go to the highest echelons of business and teach about business, having never worked in business, you know, having like they their whole lives are spent in academia, and they never have real life experience. That's why I love community colleges, because they're always full of instructors who are practitioners of what they're teaching. So it kind of reminds me of that, like how we've ended up with all these professors who are experts in their field, having never actually worked in the field, just studying it and, and looking at it. And they're 
that only gives you a minute, probably, part of what you need to know about any particular thing. Like actually living near a cornfield, you might get to know a lot about cornfields that you never thought you needed to know uh, living in D.C. Now, I do live in D.C., and I can tell you that there are some great mines here, but they're never, not usually typically <laughs> – this is going to be horrible because these are my neighbors – but not always – associated with the government. I mean, there's plenty of smart people and there's plenty of innovation here. Uh, but yeah, I, it, to say that the sharpest minds are here, maybe. There might be a lot of smart people, but there's a lot of people without a lot of real life experience to actually put what they know into practice, how to make sense of what they know without experiencing anything. And we're spoiled here in DC because we have, you know, we have great resources. We have great stuff. We are, everybody's got, you know, there's hardly any unemployment here. There's just so many different sectors that are thriving here. And we're spoiled brats. And if we never leave it, then we never know what's actually going on. And it actually, when reading your article made me think about when I was first blogging back in 2008, right before the election there. And I was, I had no idea really at that point how awful the left could be. And this the statement, I was reading some like bitter old liberal ladies uh, blog, and she called middle America filler states. Like Damn. they're just filling in like, and I was, I was wow. appalled. I was amazed. I never heard that. And I don't see it often. I don't actually think I've seen it since then, to be honest. And I'd never heard it before. I'd heard flyover state and all that. And I know it was all, you know, it's all kind of insulting. It's like, if you're not in New York or DC or LA, you're nothing. But to call them filler states to me was the ultimate in arrogance and like you're saying snobbery, but ignorance too. That's just ridiculous. I mean, the the vast majority of what goes on and is making America, making America great again, or, you know, but, but just keeps America humming and not just insane like we are on the two coasts is middle America. Like you guys put every, everybody else in check. You keep us in check and you put people like Trump in office. So... It goes really, it's the, the liberal mind is a strange and scary place, but I would be so insulted to say, you live in a filler state. You're filler. Well, that, you're not, you're not the real meat. You're just the filler. My, I had the pleasure of meeting up with my old theater professor um, last month. I hadn't seen her in like 20 years, but she was really influential in my life. And she teaches theater in Iowa at a small private college in northwestern Iowa. And um, she was saying, and she's like fairly liberal. I mean, she's in the arts, you know, right. she's, she's, she's older. So I would call her like a blue dog Democrat, you know, like the traditional kind of Democrat. But she's also very active in politics. She knows what's going on. She goes to her caucuses, all of that. And she was saying that the one thing that insults her about um, like the basically the the modern liberal left is that as how they look at her as if she is unsophisticated and stupid because she teaches in the Midwest, mm. and the Midwest and you couldn't find a more cultured and intelligent woman. I mean, she's brilliant. She's talented. She you know, she she she's an academic like she covers all the bases. But because of where she lives people like feel sorry for her like she's living <laughs> in a town full of idiots she, she probably loves it there. She loves it there. Of course she does. <laughs> of course she does. She could go anywhere. Her and her husband could go anywhere that they wanted. They they choose to live there, but she's not an anomaly. The Midwest is filled with people like that. It's filled with artists. It's filled with sure, yeah. 
It's filled with intelligence. It's filled with education. Like these things are not um, exclusive to the coasts. And in fact, they're done better than they do it on the coasts. If you ask me, it's those people are more well-rounded. I've said it before and I'll, I'll say it again that when you live on the coast, let's say New York or L.A., if you want to travel internationally, you go to your airport, you get on the plane, and you fly over the ocean. If you live in Iowa and you want to travel internationally, you make your way to a major city. You've got to make your way to L.A. You've got to make your way to New York. You've got to make your way to Chicago. You're seeing life outside of your community. They aren't. So people in the Midwest are more sophisticated and more well-rounded than people on the coast. And I think you underestimate them at your own peril. I think obviously we saw that in 2016 in states like Ohio. I mean, Pennsylvania is not nearly not a filler state so much, but these these communities that you didn't think would vote for Trump did vote for Trump. And in no small part, because they're tired of being underestimated like that by the power centers on either coast. I think it's stupid to underestimate them because they they may take some of it and, and go about their daily lives, but they're not going to take, they're not going to just keep taking it over and over again, saying, you know, oh, we should get rid of the electoral college because your votes shouldn't count. Right? <laughs> And then everybody's for it until it works against them. (laughs) Oh, yes. It's like the filibuster. We hate it. Oh, wait. No, we love it. It's great. It's the greatest thing ever. Uh, Yeah. 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 Very, very interesting. Now, ideas. Let's let's increase the Supreme Court to what, like 16 justices or whatever. However many justices, like, I guess that's going however many it takes to get where we want to go. Again, that works fine until those 16 justices are appointed by conservative presidents. And (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Have is fine. The system we have works for everyone. It's just that there are people on the liberal left on the I call them the progressive left. They're not even liberals anymore. Um, Nor are they progressive, particularly. Well, Well, liberal is maybe the annoying people that we were dealing with in 2008. People who don't think like us, but they're left of center. And the progressive left is like alt left. That's like far left. Yeah, and I yeah. think that's the base of the Democrat Party these days. So that's what I mean. That's the difference. Because like my professor, who is a liberal, but she's not a maniac. That's old school liberal. That's the kind of liberal that we've always dealt with. That's why we've always been able to go comfortably back and forth between conservative and liberal in this country. But now we're at a place where the progressive left, the alt left, is um, dominating the conversation. Sure. You see it with Tulsi Gabbard. And we actually talked about her on last week's episode. But since we even recorded that, she's become like the punching bag of the the Bernies and the Hillarys out there. Like, and, you know, probably most of us don't agree with a whole lot of Tulsi Gabbard. But she dares to not... Yes. Go, you know, just fall into line and be the good girl. And you, you, you think as a woman that women should celebrate like, hey, this woman is speaking up. She doesn't agree with everything. She's got the guts to speak out. And now she is just being kicked or they're trying to kick her to the curb. I think I read an article it's yesterday. It was uh, some lefty. It's probably Axios or something like conservatives push Tulsi Gabbard to, you know, record breaking fundraising halls and all that. Like conservatives did that. <laughs> conservatives made her a thing. And sure, we did to a little bit because we were, I think, shocked 
that any Democrat would, would speak out in a way that didn't just completely fall in line with their radical policies. Yeah, I, I well, that that's why we can't take them seriously when they talk about equality, when they talk about feminism, like all of the words they say sound good. Who couldn't be against women? You know, who, why? Who could hate, you know, uh, who can hate whatever cause, you know, but the thing is, is that they don't walk their walk. So we can't take them seriously. You can you can give me a good speech, Hillary Clinton, but in, at the end of the day, you're still the woman who doesn't hashtag believe all women. You're still the woman that that actively worked to destroy females who accused your husband of of mistreating them and abusing them and criminal activity towards them. You're the one that labeled him bimbo eruptions. Now, Tulsi Gabbard's coming up. She's a woman. And all day long, all we hear is we're supposed to support women. We're supposed women should rule the world. Women are the right. There's a special place in hell for women that don't support other women. That's right. But at the end of the day, if she's not towing the line, then she doesn't count. That's why we can't take these people seriously. I'm happy to have this conversation and listen to your opinions about why women should be elevated in public and why we're not doing that enough. I have my own opinions about that. That might match up in some ways, but I can't take anything you say seriously. You don't practice it. So I'm not listening to you. You're ridiculous. It's interesting the way that Tulsi Gabbard has become, uh, you know, a, a big story because she probably agrees with Hillary Clinton on 90 to 95% of things, but yeah. it's the 5% yeah. where, you know, she's, she's not okay with killing a baby up to the point of birth. Like there's few things like, you know, thanks Tulsi for, for being a little bit okay in, in your mind, but it's amazing the way she's become the story. And now Bernie's attacking her like, Oh, war on women. I don't know. Should we re revise that hashtag, raise it from the dead war on women and all that. It's interesting. And I think that the Democrats are in dangerous territory because people <laughs> wait we're supposed to celebrate women and differences and all that oh yeah except for when it's in politics then we can't do that at all i don't even know what to say i i do think that they have over overplayed their hand again oh yeah i i i don't think i still don't think they get it here's something interesting i'll i'll connect these two stories really quick i'll try to be quick yeah that that story about carson king the 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 beer guy um, who got outed for old tweets, the Des Moines Re register um, did a story on him. The kid that raised all that money, 3 million and at the latest, uh, latest time. At, he, yeah. And yeah. And, uh, but they dug up old tweets from when he was 16 and they were quote problematic. And then of course people went and dug into the reporter's timeline and he had way more recent tweets that were way more problematic. Reporter gets fired. By the way, the staff, at the his editor at the Morning Register is still there, Carol mm. Hunter. I think she should be fired. He, Aaron Calvin, was this reporter's name. He came out and said, "Look, I'm I'm ticked off because ultimately this went through my editors and they approved it, and they should be the ones to pay for this, not not me. They're there to protect me, and they just hung me out to dry. Fair enough, Aaron." Then he said, but the worst part of this is that conservatives have made me a target. Oh. And now <laughs> got me unfairly fired. And now I can't find work because 
because conservatives went and dug through my timeline and took out these tweets out of context. They never asked me what the nuances of them were. No one ever asked me to explain. And I thought, well, damn, you know, here, if there ever was an opportunity for a young man to say, man, uh, karma's kind of a bitch and maybe I was wrong. You know, I'm seeing this from the other side and I feel like I was unfairly targeted. Maybe there is something to the idea that we should let the past be the past and judge people on who they are in the, in, in the present. What a wonderful opportunity to learn something. And he just dug in and that's the left. That is, that is the left. Trump should have taught them something. If they were smart, if they were thoughtful and strategic, which the 24 hours following his election, it seemed like some of the pundits were kind of getting it. Very short-lived. Short-lived. If they were smart, they would go, you know what? We need to learn something here. Maybe we, we have overplayed our hand. Maybe we have done this wrong. Um, and And it's the opposite. It's like, now they're like, you know what? People are really experiencing Trump regret. I think people are regretting voting for Trump. Let's put up Hillary. We should put up Hillary again. We should put up, you know, it's like they haven't learned anything, Terry. That's what um, that's what astounds me. They haven't learned anything. No. And they're just sinking in. I, I know we both know better than pre- to predict what's going to happen on election night. But the way things stand now, I don't see Anything that is a useful, you know, a, a useful refutation of Trump, of what Trump is, is all. Right. And if nothing else, why would his Trump's numbers for fundraising are phenomenal? Like he is going to raise yeah. a record amount of money. So the, the, the more that they do dig in on these things like we're talking about, even these small things like, hey, admitting that maybe you did something wrong. The more they do that, the more he starts bringing in. So, yeah, you're right. Who knows? Polls say a bunch of different things. Who knows what's going to ultimately happen? But you would think that knowing that the, they are the Democrats are far behind in fundraising and spending. I mean, as a group, because there's so many of them, they probably outraise what he is. But, you know, individually, none of them are doing anything near that he's doing. So they don't. I don't get why they don't do it other than it's just it's really hard to admit you were wrong about something that you yes. read something wrong. Yes. It's very hard to admit it. Nobody likes to do that. And I get it. They'll have never Trump. Right. That's why those Trumpers, they can't admit that they got their own side that wrong. Right. And, they, so, and it starts playing into personalities because then they, they, there's there's people that that are forever Trumpers that they hate. And, you know, so it's it's not even I think Trump is the catalyst for all of it, but it's it's not even that simple. It's like you start, they start hating the other side so much that it's now it's pride. Now it's like, I am never not going to admit that I'm wrong here because I hate that person that likes Trump so much or even the opposite. I mean, I don't think there's quite the animosity towards sure. never Trump yeah. because they tried so many different things and it never goes anywhere, but it, it's, it's, it's not even Trump anymore. It's just, you know, hating other people, hating the filler States, hating the person that doesn't agree with you and admitting that you're wrong. And that's, that's never going to happen. So in politics, anyways, he's just the symptom. Yeah. Just, oh, he is. Disease, you know, it was there. It was it was bubbling up. Trump was just you know what? Trump might not go down as the best president in American history, 
but he is certainly a man for his time, you know, and it's the same way. I feel the same way about George Bush. Like towards the end, I was like, okay, I'm, <laughs> I'm done with George Bush. <laughs> He's not that great, but he was a president for his time. He took, he led us through one of the most tumultuous times in our history. So for that, he he was a good president. And it was the same way with Winston Churchill in England. He wasn't a really good prime minister. He really wasn't. And after wartime, that became very apparent. But for wartime, he was the man of his time. That's sure. who Trump is. He's a man of his his time because we are in this moment where the disease has taken over American politics. And it's time for, you know, some inoculation. <laughs> And and that's that's what he is. But I, it's our same. I wanted to go back to your point about um, they can't admit they're wrong. And this is the thing I keep saying about the homeless issue in California. There are solutions to this insanely, insanely growing homelessness. Mm, yeah, there are solutions, but they are not liberal solutions. They are not progressive solutions. And that's what we've been doing for the last 20 years is, is employing the liberal and progressive line on the homeless issue. So in order for our politicians to turn this around, they have to admit that the policies they've been using all these years are wrong. And that would admit that liberal policy is wrong and can't do that. Well, you can't do that because even though you might believe it and you might have the guts to say something about it, you will be so disowned and canceled or whatever the the cool lingo is, you know, by your own side. And then where does that leave you? Well, then you can come to our side. But <laughs> yeah, but then you're just then then you get you know um, consigned to the quote conservative ghetto. You know, where you never get to go mainstream again. You only have to depend on people that are on the right and listening to um, right wing politics and right wing commentary and notions. And, and that's great. Obviously, that's where we are. And, we're, <laughs> we and it works for us. But I think about people who have a voice that goes further. People like Dave Rubin, mm. who, who are kind of like who were mainstreamed and then they get shoved over to the right and they get stuck there. And then they're not influencing the people that they should be influencing. We need the Dave Rubens of the world to be talking to people on the left, you know? And so I think as conservatives, maybe when we see guys like that come over, he definitely wouldn't call himself conservative, but this is kind of where he's been consigned to now. When we see guys like that, we should celebrate that, but we should be careful not to make them idols or celebrities on sure. our side. We should let them operate in their space. We don't want to scare left wingers off by getting so excited about this person that, you know, then we turn them into like a conservative maniac. Let's let them live where they live. We need those people who are willing to speak sense to the left and who are still able to be heard. I agree. I agree with you 100 percent. And I saw some liberals piling on Dave Rubin on Twitter, um, some CNN journalist to be or journalist in quotation. I don't even remember really what it was other than Dave was like, you know, hey, man, that's, you know, my uh, tweets are being shot. It, it was something along the lines of, you know, my tweets are people aren't seeing my tweets. What's going on here? Why is like the shadow banning happening? And then Oliver Darcy from CNN is just like, well, maybe you just can't admit that your stuff is crap. Like right. okay, there you go. That's what happens if you are somebody, uh, you know, who dares to 
question anything that the left holds sacred and dear to themselves, which is apparently censorship on Twitter, shadow banning, things like that of conservative thoughts. So stupendous. We'll see. I'm excited for some 2020 to see what happens. It's going to be interesting. So one thing that I did here on Fox the other night, I was on with Tammy Bruce, who is brilliant. Um, She's a policy wonk, so she can be a little dry, but Tammy Bruce is brilliant. And one of the things she said former, was... Former liberal. Former raging former, liberal. Yep, former liberal. And one of the things she said was that um, the current Democrat field is not looking good. She basically repeated everything that we said in this podcast. Like, they still don't get it. They're not on top of the, the heartbeat of America right now. But she said, we were talking about Tulsi and... I was confused as to why Hillary was choosing Tulsi to go after, of all people. You know, like she's polling at the bottom. She's not really a threat. Why is Hillary choosing to go after Tulsi? By the way, do you have a a, a theory on that, Terry? Abor- abortion. It was Abor- my theory was that Tulsi had a more moderate opinion. I mean, I think it's still a very extreme opinion or, you know, a stance on abortion. But since uh, Mia Farrow was attacking her, too, over abortion, I figure it's all about abortion. Okay. Well, Tammy had an interesting theory. She theorized that because um, there's nothing, no one's looking good, Biden's not looking good up there, that they're anxious to get someone else in this race. And it's going to look dumb if Hillary comes back and says, Hey, give me another shot. Like, I want this. She can't come out and say, I want this. She has to be asked. And at this point, the only thing that she would probably be asked to do is run as someone's VP candidate. (laughs) (laughs) But then here's what happens. Here's here's she had this whole thing laid out. It kind of made sense to me. Tulsi is in a really good spot for VP. She's she's um, raised her profile. People who are right of center kind of like her. They'll at least tolerate her. She's a woman. She's military. She's a really good pick for VP. Tammy surmised that Hillary is actually targeting people who might be good VP candidates. And then she could get chosen as, say, Biden's VP candidate. Then Biden drops out because he gets sick or he's old. Sure. And then, oh, Hillary's the only one that can do it. And she said it's either Hillary or in the next year, someone like a Michelle Obama is going to get in. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That was actually in Politico this morning or Politico playbook email, like talking about that. Yeah. The direct route of just actually getting in the race doesn't work, but something maybe a little more, you know, roundabout way of getting in. Yeah. Interesting. That was extremely fascinating. I don't know. Like, I'm not going to lie. The idea of Michelle Obama does make me nervous. Um, just because of the cultural significance of that and and Obama won on the cultural significance. But my only hesitancy, you know, from getting too weird about Michelle is that I don't know that she really wants to do it. She hated living in the White House. She hated it. I don't think and she wants it. I don't think she wants it. And you have to want it. She may like want it like I want it. Yeah, sure. I'll take all yeah. of that. I, you got to want it. <laughs> yeah, you do. And she knows that's the thing. She's been through two presidential campaigns. She knows the sacrifice and she knows the scrutiny, you know, the scrutiny that will put her daughters back under her family back under. She hated 
living in the White House. She talked about how she was a prisoner in there. And you basically are. You can't even open your window to get fresh air. You know, (laughs) she didn't want that life. She never wanted. She's lived. She's they. they, I can't imagine there's any reason she would want to leave what she's got now. I mean, she is hobnobbing with the with all the the best of the best. They making it. They have so much money. They can do whatever they want. God no. God. And here's the thing, Carrie. I'll I'll maybe close my thoughts on this whole segment with this. Um, a lot of people on the left are are so desperate to defeat Trump that they're looking to people like Michelle. They're looking to people like Oprah. Sure, they're looking yeah. to sleeper, you know, candidates. That, well, I mean, Trump was one. He was the sleepy, sleepiest of the sleeper candidates. Yeah, but it wasn't like there was this groundswell of like, he's this cultural icon. We have to have him. And no, no, one, like, no, the only one no, can beat. right. That wasn't the way. But with these guys, they're like, well, Oprah's the only one that can beat Trump. Michelle's the only one who can beat Trump. But the thing. So you have to ask yourself if Trump is hashtag literally Hitler and we're two years from bringing back formal slavery, you know, whatever weirdness they <laughs> claim is going to sure. happen. Now. Re-education camps. Yeah. Then why wouldn't Oprah get in the race? Then why wouldn't sure. Trump get in the race? If, if Trump is, is Hitler and things are as bad as the left is telling us, wouldn't they want to save their country? Wouldn't they want to do everything they could to defeat this guy? Why don't they get in the race? Because they know that it's all BS. They know that Trump is not literally Hitler, no matter what they say. They know that in four years after that, there'll be another election and another election. They know it's all politics as usual. Michelle's been in the game. She knows it's all politics as usual. She might not like Trump, but she knows that he is not Hitler. She knows that he is not Stalin, you know? So that, Stop very- making sense, Kira. Stop making sense. <laughs> The very fact that these women are not in the race tells me that the situation is not nearly as dire as as the rhetoric, as the impeachment hearings might make you think. Indeed. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Well put. Now, we wanted to jump across the pond for a little bit. We the, Our first segment went probably longer than we thought, so maybe we'll, we keep it to a minimum of our opinions. But we, uh, is if you've listened to the show for a while, you'll know that Kira, more than me, but Kira and I are both kind of fans of uh, keeping abreast of the English, yeah. the UK, the monarchy. Oh, I mean, really anyone in Europe. I'm, I'm all right with like any kings, queens. I, I'll, I'll read the stories about them, yeah, mostly because my Bible it. is daily, you know, the, uh, not the Daily Wire, the Daily Mail. Um, <laughs> yeah. So now Megan, who of course, Megan Markle be, has become a, a duchess over there because she married Prince Harry, who is, I don't know, fourth in, fifth? in line i don't even know where he is in line he's pretty far back he's prince william's younger brother princess diana's younger son and um they've had a a rough patch there and they just uh we'll just do a little royal talk because we haven't talked about megan in a while because we we covered it a little bit around the wedding and you actually were over in england during the the royal wedding which was amazing go for the royal wedding but i just happened to be there at the same time well right 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 but you were there you were there which is cool so i we probably haven't talked about them in well over a year and at the time i think we were both sort of trying to figure out i think you were a little more welcoming of Meghan markle than i was um, we had some interesting opinions, and she's been she's been in in the family now for like a year and a half. Obviously, they had a baby five months ago. He's adorable. 
some pictures have come out recently because they yeah. did a big tour in Africa and he's just adorable. He's just the yeah. cutest little thing. But they're having a very, very rough patch. And I, of course, wanted to get your opinion on that because she, I guess, I didn't see this documentary and I haven't really even seen any clips of it, but I've read the articles about it and read comments over there at Daily Mail, which is always pretty brutal towards Meghan uh, Markle or the Duchess of Sussex, I guess her official title is. Um, and so they, they were kind of a woe is me, it sounds like, documentary that was kind of con- chronicling their travels, their their tour of Africa, but also doing some personal interviews about how rough life is for them and a lot of Crimea River. And I want to feel bad for her, but then I also know she's an actress. So this whole like, oh, she's, it's just so hard. I don't know. You always have a very good way of looking at things, Kira. So I wanted to find out what you're thinking of Meghan Markle right now in light of this documentary that just came out where she was, you know, lamenting how hard it is to be who she is. I'm I'm back and forth. The one thing I can't figure out about this Megan Megan Markle thing is like, like when we were when she was dating Harry and they announced their engagement, we were like, surely she's a gold digger. <laughs> like you don't just all of a sudden hook up with a prince and if he proposes to you, you're going to say yes, you know, no matter what, even if you love him or not. But after they got married, I'm like, well, they're married now, you know. Maybe they do love each other. Maybe they do have. I saw the way. I hope they do. And it looked sincere. You know, they looked right. sincerely happy to be together. So, but here's the thing I can't figure out. Because I, she's a Hollywood actress and she's a liberal Hollywood actress. So I have no doubt that there are, are parts of her that are entitled. You know, that, that she has a sense of entitlement. And that might not play well in a country that already wasn't primed to accept her as one of them. You know, as part of the royal family. She's an outsider. She's a divorce say she's american she's black like all of these things go against what would be a quote acceptable um addition to the british royal family so i can't tell what's that and what is her like just being a regular american i think some of these issues that the british have with her are simply cultural so she comes from a culture where she's an independent woman who has to support herself she's got to speak up for herself she has opinions and she is allowed to say those things whenever and wherever she wants because she's an american woman you go over there and suddenly there's royal protocol you have to brush up on how you act in public do you know she can't not smile in public (laughs) She had to go get training to learn how to keep a smile on her face at all times. Now, you and I know, Terry, that how hard it is to not have resting bitch face. <laughs> Imagine being in public. Sometimes. Yeah, the situation calls for it. Yes. She's not even allowed to do that. There was one there was one piece of gossip that came out recently where she was in Ireland. They had their abortion vote. Oh yeah. Someone overheard her at a party, at a private party, saying Oh, I'm very happy for the women. Like she's pro-abortion. She's liberal. She's pro-abortion. You know, I'm very happy that that the women are having their say or something. And that piece, that one sentence got leaked and she was right over the coal. She's not even allowed to give an opinion in public. I can't imagine that type of pressure. So I think that the, the Brits might have a different expectation of her than she is able to provide as an American One of the things I hear a lot is she has a different work ethic. So while the British royal family might be, they work hard at what they do. um, They, they might start their day at like nine or 10 with tea and then they get into the day. Well, Megan's up at five. She does 
does yoga. She does, you know, she does her meditation. She does. That's an actress's culture. Right, right. And so I just, I don't know how to feel about her. I, I can't tell. It, it's probably a little bit of both, but I can't tell what's entitlement, American entitlement on her part. And what is the Brits just not being able to accept this outsider as one of them? Well, it's interesting. Something that she apparently said in the interview was her American friends when she was dating Harry were like, oh, hell yeah, Miriam. That's like you're going to get it's going to be great. You're going to meet all the famous people. You're going to have servants. You're going to have all this. And her British friends were like, oh, God, no. Run the other way. Like, and that's paraphrasing it, obviously. But they were like, no, you don't even know what you're getting into. So I think it's kind of both. I think, you know, it's it's have your cake and eat it too sort of thing like she yeah. wants all of it and it's it's a pretty it's an old <laughs> institution there the royal family and they have got things that that you must do and must not do and but Whoa. maybe harry gets a pass though so my theory is because he's become his transition from party great guy to just like he's just the most miserable looking dude and i don't think it's because of his marriage i don't think she's making him miserable maybe she is i don't know but i think he's going into this whole like the press killed my my uh my mother and i don't want this happening in my family so he's yeah you know when you're become a, a new husband a new father like I'm yeah. assuming, having never been one, but having been a new mom, like you feel very vulnerable. Like you've got yeah. like this new yeah. life and you've got these, a little family that you're growing and you feel very vulnerable. I remember that being like very concerned about my husband all the time when I first had a baby. Like, where is, <laughs> like, you know, just yeah. some of those things. And he kind of translates it to what happened to his mother. But let's be honest. Princess Diana, she grew up in the whole British aristocracy, so she knew she, what yeah. she was getting into for the most part. She was very young, but she also knew how to use the media to her advantage. So when you, how can you complain about them when you also use them? Because I do think that Megan probably uses the media in ways that we don't even know, like stories that come oh, out yes. about other people that, I, you know, that's how it's probably done in Hollywood. You have a publicist and right. they plant stories. Right. So I'm I'm thinking like that, that Harry is going through a very difficult emotional and mental part of life and that he's feeding into what she's feeling like he's not alleviating it. He's making it worse because he's so neurotic about what happened to his mother. Granted, he was a very, you know, he was very young when she died and that was obviously had the biggest impact on his life. So um, it's, it's interesting. It's, I can't tell if she's super villain or she's super victim. I I just don't know. She did say, she did say I, I did hear that the snippet of that interview. The whole thing hasn't come out yet, but I did hear that snippet of the interview that that we base this conversation on. And she did say um, it's really hard being a new wife and a new mom. And then all of a sudden you're like right in the middle of the press. You know, no one ever asks you how you are. Like, right. No one, ever, no one ever asks me how I'm doing. And that was a moment I think that was I to me, I was like, you know what? Yeah, I. Forget the money and the royalty and the position. Like like you say, Terry, when you were a new mom, everything changed in, mm. in the best ways and also in the scariest of ways. Suddenly you are aware of how vulnerable life is and how vulnerable, you know, the life you've been given to protect is. Yeah. And you need I, I would have I don't know who I would have been, what kind of mother I would have been if I hadn't had like my mother in law and father in law nearby and family nearby to like advise me and guide me and offer me comfort when I needed it and help when I needed it. And she doesn't really have that. She doesn't have, I think her mom is around maybe, but she doesn't even have a great relationship with her mom. All that's new. Right. Um, 
she, she's all alone. <laughs> to be honest, she's all alone. And I know that feeling. I'd rather be all alone in a palace than all alone in a <laughs> 700 square foot house in, in the middle of Gary, Indiana. But regardless, both are scary to be a new mom. Yeah. I think we, we have to take away the glitz and the glamour sometimes to realize these are people. You you actually had the best. I think you've had the best analysis of this that I've heard so far. Just that Harry is now he's a dad and now things are vulnerable and he's more susceptible to. You know. I just don't think I actually remember this because I remember during the funeral of Princess Diana and, the, and, and of course, the men of the family walked behind the cortege or whatever the official word is in there. You know, they people were talking on the TV and I don't remember who I was watching at that time. It was 1997 because I was pregnant with my oldest child at the time. Um, just talking about like this is going to be a lifelong struggle for these two boys dealing with something like this. She was such a presence and she was such their champion and to have her die in the way that she died and, and you know, with the paparazzi being involved like this is a lifelong thing they're going to need a ton i don't know if therapy was the word but like they're going to need a ton of support and and probably you know help in getting through this and i remember thinking that and now it's so many years later it's 22 years later and it's actually right like i think he's still dealing with it and he's making probably the situation that is difficult to begin with much worse because of his I mean, I'm using the word neuroses, but I, it, it's probably something like that. And he's, he's just not the Harry he used to be. But I know people wonder why we talk about these kinds of things. But I, I think it's really interesting to, to see, having gone through all the years of Princess Diana and all that, just to see how this is going. But I, I don't know. I like talking about it. I want to like her and I want to be on her side. So I think I keep looking for reasons, even though I don't think that like we probably have a ton in common in terms of what we think is important. But um Interesting. We we love our royals. Why not? It's fine. Like we don't have a royal family in America, and I'm glad for that. But why can't I just like enjoy pretty princesses and royal intrigue? There's something wrong with that. There's this whole contrarianism attitude here in America. Like because we're American, in order to be good Americans, we have to hate everything else. Or we like it's fun. It's castles and princesses and royal intrigue and you know, money and... And it has all- no effect on us here in America. No effect on us, exactly. <laughs> so we can enjoy, we can pontificate, we can do all this. Thing. I did want to ask you, Terry, though, your opinion on the the perceived split between Harry Oh, and yeah. Will. And he, and, and I think Harry kind of almost addresses he kind it. Of confirmed it. Well, yeah. He well, he didn't issue a denial, which is the same. Like, so someone well, he asked said, him the question, yeah. are you in a rift with your, your brother? And he, and he said, I don't want to, I don't want to pretend like there's no issues there. He said they have some good days and they have some bad days, which is probably <laughs> like anything. Think, where do you think? I mean, obviously, this is all speculation. We know nothing about their personal lives. But what do you think is the rift? Oh, I think it's Megan, 100%. I think that it's everything you hear about that Prince William told him not to marry her is correct. And it's probably turning out to be true in that some of the stuff that she comes with 
not that she's not a good person or worthy of being married or worthy, but it just has brought so many things into the situation, like political views that she's not used to having to keep a lid on and just probably not doing a great job of keeping a lid on, wanting to be famous, but not wanting the wanting all the good parts of being famous, but not the bad parts. I think that she's probably done some harm. I, I think she's to blame for it. I think he told her, you know, he told his, he's the older sibling. He is going to be king one day. He has a lot on him. And I think he's just like, for the health of our family, this is not the best thing. Of course, as a brother, he wants his brother to be happy, but it doesn't seem, it seems like Harry's in a bad place right now. And I think William is not probably, I don't know, not sympathetic, but not like warm, fuzzy, like, let's give him some time to work through this. Like, this is what needs to be done and you got to do it. And you're not doing it. And he's in the business of royalty, and he is going to be the next king. Oh, sure. I, I think I think if the queen doesn't die first, she's going to skip <laughs> Charles and give it to Will. And I think he is. I think you're absolutely right, Terry. He's looking at this as like the business of the royal family in the future, and what we're going to have to deal with when I'm on the throne, which might seem a little selfish, but he's going to be the CEO. So, but the other thing that I think is that. <sighs> I, I get it. Like, I get all that part. But just from a family aspect, um, I can remember my mother-in-law telling me, people ask me all the time when we first were engaged, she would say, people ask me all the time if I like you. Do I like you? And I would say, well, of course I like her. She's really nice. But I would love her no matter what because my son loves her. And so it's mm. only right peace in our family for this person to come in because that's how we'll all operate and I, and I it it's that changed me in a lot of ways and, and now that's how I look at at family particularly in-laws this idea is like yeah when someone comes from the outside into your family it can cause problems they can maybe be insensitive or maybe it's just misunderstandings whatever the fact is at some point you have to stand back and say if this is my brother and I love him and now he's married to this person then I'm going to make the decision to keep my opinions to myself and just support him in his relationship, welcome him, her into our family and try as much as possible to make her a part of who we are. And I think in that respect, as the older brother, that is William's job is to the queen seems to have done it quite well. I, I think he needs to do that, too, to just say uh, we're a messed up family <laughs> We've got a lot of issues, but at this point, you're part of it. So we're going to do everything we can to support you. Even if we don't really like you, we're, we're going to support you because you're well, married to Harry. I suspect what happens is that they have made those attempts to do that. But I, mm-hmm. I, I really think it comes down to that Meghan Markle went in there thinking, I'm going to do it a different way. I'm me. I've got, like you said, she's used to having, you know, she had on her own blog. She was able to voice her opinion at any time. And she thought she was going to change the situation. But I think what they're coming up against is she's not going to be able to. And I think probably if I'm William and Kate, I'm thinking we've given up a lot. Like we've, there's a lot of things that we don't get to say, don't get to do. And, you know, that's just how it is when you marry into this family. They probably like Diana didn't prepare her well enough for what they're going to deal with. But maybe that's what he was saying. Maybe William was saying to Harry, take it slow or figure it out, set her up for success. But they haven't, but she hasn't set herself up for success really either. So um, it's interesting. It's interesting because I think William and Kate, like they're very, very rarely put a foot wrong is that how they say it in england like they 
You know, they are always smiling. Like, Kate's got the smile now. She's smiling all the time. She dresses appropriately. She interacts well. She doesn't put her opinion out there about anything, which we as American women are probably like, oh, my God, that's terrible. She can't say anything. But, like, they don't – they do it all the right. They they go through – they probably put a lot of effort in doing everything the right way. and. They do put a ton of effort. I saw a list. It was like a leaked list of the Duchess training that Megan got before they got married. And it was intense, man. It was everything, like everything. I just can't imagine having to focus on this stuff, even just talking to and be a normal person talking to people and meeting the commoners or meeting. I can't imagine it was it was even things like the way you step the way you step, the way you walk down the stairs, the way you cross your legs, um, the the way your face looks, so so that you're never caught in an awkward um, still frame. Right. All all of the, the your posture, it everything is geared towards being absolute perfection in um, the media, and uh, I just you can't even look bored, and half the stuff you're doing is boring as hell you know oh my god it's the same thing over and over again you got a rope line you got to walk along you you know you got to pull this little tassel to undo the plaque and like but you know there's some that do it really well like my favorite is definitely sophie who is married to prince edward like she she does it really well she does it with style she looks like she's having fun her she's obviously never going to be anything great and she's a senior royal i think but she's never going to be she just does right. it right. She spends a lot of time with her kids. And I would say, like, why didn't we look at, like, um, Grace, Princess Grace of Monaco, like, as the example, like, that that she has. She was a movie star, and she went over there, and not that she didn't love her husband and her children and the people of Monaco, but that was one miserable lady becoming yeah. becoming a, a royal. So it's, there's precedent there that, that we didn't pay attention to. But anyway, enough about Megan. we got to get to our questions of the week to yes. wrap up the show. Um, mine's more serious. Should we go serious or not serious Let's first? Serious. Okay, get serious out of the way. So mine was, and I just came across it this morning. So in the wake of Parkland, which is, of course was one of the biggest and most tragic of the school shootings in recent memory, a company come, came along. It's called Bark is the name of the company. And they have software that allows schools and school systems to monitor students' emails. So the article I'm reading is about like this one guy. He's he's in a smaller school system. There's got like 2,500 students. And this is to, to just so we're clear, it's using a school system email. So it's not their private emails that are being monitored, but their school system emails, which I didn't even know was a thing because my kids never had school emails through like elementary, middle or high school. So I, I didn't know that was a thing. But this is Bark is monitoring some. So there's keywords like suicide, self-harm, things like that, that are being monitored. This guy's job used to be he would look at every email to see if <laughs> what they were saying to each other. But now it's 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 monitoring him and it pings him like he was home one Friday watching TV and he got an alert that someone had just that second, a student had sent something about self-harm to another student. And they called that mom and said, are you near this child? You know, are you, do you have eyes on him? Is he okay? So I thought, this is a really interesting question as to whether we should be for that or against that. So Kira, I'm throwing it to you because it is a school system email that's being used. So it's kind of a high-tech version of locker check. We're checking your locker to see if you have contraband or anything bad in there. But it's also like 
what I know, having kids that are part of this younger generation, the kind of crap that they really hate. So is the good of it that you could identify someone who's self-harming or maybe thinking of suicide worth the, the privacy issues that come with it? I don't think you have privacy when you're in public school. So I'm all for it. I think if it's school email, um, we do a lot here um, in my school district with our email system is called school loop. So a lot of the kids do, I mean, they do their homework through there. They do their assignments through there. They communicate with their teachers. And so do we as parents, I can go on and I can see everything that's coming up for my daughter this week. Um, I can click on links and it'll lead me to copies of the assignments. Like everything is, is that way, but this is a school email system and the same way that the school would have a responsibility to report a conversation between two kids that was problematic troubling i think when you're using the school email i think absolutely you're giving up some control of your information and we had this same conversation um years ago maybe decades now around locker searches right for kids right you know, mm-hmm. um, can you search a kid's locker for drugs as drugs were becoming more prevalent in schools? Can you search a kid's locker for drugs? Is that an invasion in privacy? Well, kids don't really have privacy. My kids don't have privacy in my house. We give them some privacy, but I can barge into my kid's room whenever I want and check their computer and check their phone. You don't have privacy. When you're an adult and you're out on your own and you're making your own money and buying your own devices and paying for your own Internet, then you can have some privacy. But he, but my job as a parent is not to offer you privacy. My job as a parent is to make sure you can get to the point right. you can responsibly use your privacy. So I don't think these kids have any real privacy, particularly in a public school system, um, particularly when you're talking about this is a system that is supported by me, the taxpayer, and I don't want kids going in and shooting up schools or killing themselves in schools. So I don't really have a problem with it. If this was a a private question, a, a question about a private entity, or if they were reaching into like a kid's Gmail account or, kid, you know, yeah. That's, well, that's, the, I guess, the question. That's probably the sub question to the question is, is, is it a slippery slope? Because these kids are smart. They say, oh, you're monitoring my email. I'm going to take it to Snapchat. I'm going to take it to something else. Uh-huh. So at what point are we like, well, now that we don't, we have to, we have to be able to monitor them for self-harm and suicide and all that. That I guess that's my thought. Like, yeah, if it's a, you know, it's, to, it's like how I feel about Twitter. Twitter's letting me use it for free it's i mean i hate that they shadow ban but i guess it's their right like it's their thing i don't pay them we're not in a contract situation where they're supposed to be you know assuring that i'm getting some level of service so i guess i i i concerned that it turns into, well, now we need to monitor a little more. Because I think going into the article that I was reading, like that they they are monitoring, you know, as much as possible, social media feeds and things like that. These kids are smart, though. They, They, you know, that's why a Snapchat exists, so that stories go away after a while. These are not dumb kids, and they don't like it. Okay, I get it. I get it. But the, the responsibility of the school only extends so far and it only sure. extends to what happens on their property. And you could consider their email okay. service, their property. But right. I get, believe me, I get the slippery slope. Mm-hmm. Worry, but this is where we stop. Like to me, that seems very clear. No, this is where we stop. You, you, you stop at monitoring whatever the school is providing for the kids. Outside of that, as soon as the school tells me, oh, we need access to your son's Instagram account, 
that's the day I'm like, uh, no, the the buck stops here. Like you don't have a responsibility to monitor my child outside a public school. Can that be a pain? Yes. Unfortunately, that is a side effect of a free society. You don't get to control the movements of everybody everywhere. And that means sometimes people do bad things. But, you know, no, I, I think it stops there. I'm fine with it as long as it's, you know, the school property, school email. They're doing what they need to do. Kids um, and yeah, kids are smarter. They will go outside. And then that's not the school on the school anymore. That's up to us as parents. Well, and- yeah. And it's always been up to us. And I, I guess the reason I'm concerned a little bit about it is in my area, the there's been a couple suicides and, it's, you know, high schoolers and some of them are a little more high profile and, and for various reasons. And it's become such a thing like suicide. Like you don't go a couple days without getting an email about suicide prevention, suicide discussions. It's so suicide focused, which I don't know if that's good or bad. I don't I honestly don't like it is so suicide centric right now in, in, in my area that. I do think it's very easy to take that next step. Like, well, we really need to be monitoring more to make sure that nobody's committing suicide because, you know, one kid left school and committed suicide. You know, and the schools get a lot of heat for the lack of, oh, we went to the guidance counselor and the guidance counselor didn't do anything or this kid was being bullied and you guys didn't do enough and now they're dead. So I think we have such a suicide. I mean, and the media makes such a, you know, they, they, they sensationalize and they, I think, maybe do more harm than good in sometimes in these instances. So I guess that's my thing is like we are and then maybe it's a similar thing playing out across the country we are so focused on suicides right now i don't know that we're doing a bloody thing to prevent them but we sure are talking a lot about it yeah i well you make a good point okay well i don't know it's interesting we'll see we'll see and now that they have these systems that can monitor who knows where it goes from there but what's your question for me my question for you is is it ethical to own a cat as a pet and let it be an indoor-outdoor cat? And the reason I ask this is because here in California, I live in Orange County, so it's a suburban area. But um, when we – the last time we went to adopt a cat, which they're begging people, especially in the spring during kitten season. <laughs> there's like billions of kittens that need to be adopted. They're begging people to come in and – I took my kids and we went to get a cat and they were like, are, will this cat be indoor outdoor? And I didn't even think about it. Like I was just filling out the application and I kind of just ch- checked like, yes, I, I just wasn't considering what the question was. I was just trying to get it done really fast. And then they rejected our application because we said the cat was going to be indoor outdoor. And so they were like, well, we're not going to give you a cat if you're going to let it go outside. So a lot of people here think it's unethical to let your cat go outside. That is that's fascinating. And it's actually I was like, this is a great question. How did she know? Because we in our neighborhood that we've lived in for just a little bit over two years, and I've never seen this any really in anywhere. And I've lived in a couple different areas in the DC area before there are several at least three to four cats that are indoor outdoor. They are out during the day and they are out all day long. And I had never seen that before. I've never seen cats just roaming the neighborhood. And um, like, I was actually flabbergasted. I didn't really, you know, I know that you might let your cat out, but like they are out 
all day long. And they we have rocking chairs on our front porch. So when it rains, they come and they cuddle up on our rocking chairs during the rain. So they're here all the time. They they like the they like the warmth of the car, so they like to get under the car. Like they're here on our driveway all the time. And we live just a half a block from actually our church. Uh, and the kids at the church love it. Like the cats go down that way when like the cars start arriving for, for the services and the kids love them. So I, it's been weird to me because I didn't know so many people let their cats just roam around. But the cats are freaking happy. Those cats are the happiest, healthiest looking like they've got the shiniest coats and they are love people and they just roam around. And I kind of like them now, whereas I've never really been a cat person. So it's strange to me. Now, I, I've never owned a cat, so I don't know if they are being deprived by not being let outside, because most cats I know never go outside, but now yeah. all the cats I know completely live outside. So <laughs> I is, does it inhibit them in any way? I always figured that cats just like to curl up somewhere in a house. I, these guys roam. They, they own our little block. They are all over the place. And there's a black one with little white paws that everybody just loves. The kids love him. And they're like, oh, he's a stray. I'm like, no, he's not a stray. He's fine. He's He's got a house. I don't, And I honestly don't even know who he belong, who they belong to. I have, I have an idea of what houses they might be going to at night. But it's crazy. It's like they're, you know, free range cats in our neighborhood. So do you think of those owners as irresponsible? I did at first because I'm like, um... Mostly because my husband's deathly allergic to cats. So like when they come over and they they sit on our yeah. the cushions and stuff, like then he goes and sits there. And, but now I kind of like now I'm like, yeah, because these cats are like like neighborhood cats. Oh, yeah. They're just they're just they and they don't go far. They they there's a couple houses on either side that they walk between and, mm-hmm. and they I I'm like, I guess that's how it was supposed to be. I guess I thought they were supposed to be indoors, and sometimes they're not supposed to be indoors. But they certainly don't are not suffering from being out so much. They uh, find their little happy places, and they go there, and I guess they just people here, go well, home. People here think it's irresponsible because we have, like, critters, you know, coyotes. And- well, and I do wonder if there's – if it is cat specific but also location specific because there's trash they get into and – yeah, I, 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 we went back and got the cat. And we just filled out the application a little differently. But I grew up in farm country. Like I grew up on a rural island in Canada. So all the cats lived outside. I, I hardly knew anyone who had an indoor cat. Most of them were there to catch mice. You know, they were like actually part of the farm, part of the community. Like they, they were, they actually helped with pest control. And that's why people had cats. Mm-hmm. And uh, so they were really in and out or maybe they just live in your porch and kind of do their thing during the day that that was normal to me. But here people are like, that's terrible. We have coyotes. Your cat is going to get snatched by a coyote at some point. But we got the cat. We let it be indoor outdoor. I told my kids, listen, these are the risks with having an indoor outdoor cat. But if we kept the cat inside, she would get really aggressive. Hmm. after a few days, like she liked being inside, but if if we kept her inside for only three or f- like for three or four days at a time, she'd start peeing everywhere. She'd start scratching people. She'd start getting really aggressive. Like she had to go outside. She wanted to be outside. So the the compromise I made with my kids is like we have to understand that one of these days she just might not come back. So we can deal with an angry, aggressive cat <laughs> in our house or we can have a cat that's happy that goes in and out. 
And then we just have to accept that one day she just may not come back. And that's what happened. Hmm. <laughs> bad. You're so bad. No, I just I was curious. But people here, if I tell that story, will like look at me like I'm a criminal. <laughs> so. Well, and I think most of where I live is probably that way. But I think I, I kind of have a very chill street and everybody's happy to have the cats roam. But um, yeah, it's interesting. I'm getting a little education on cats because I just I was like, I didn't realize that they would just hang outside all day long. And some, will. some are like apartment cats you know they don't want to go i have a friend who's like she can't get her cats outside <laughs> like she they all they want to do is sleep in the window that's their, but some breeds i guess are more like they're it's like they're more primal they need to go out and hunt they need to go mark their territory so that's I think it funny on the breed of cat too yeah, yeah yeah no these like the cats in my neighborhood happy as they can be so and i don't we don't have too many predators i don't Nah, we have deer. <laughs> deer aren't going to do anything. The animal sort, just the government sort. Yeah, oh, we got plenty of those kinds of predators for sure. Well, I think we should probably wrap it up. Uh, very, very good conversations today. But thank you, everybody, as always, for listening. We love uh, having you guys as supporters and listeners. Please tell a friend, tell three, four, five, tell everybody. And be sure to go over to the new website, which again is Smart Girl, just Smart Girl dot substack.com and I'll put that in the show notes so people can know how to get over there just so we can start doing a little off of Facebook off of Twitter conversation conversating is that's not a word but it's going to be um, over there because we'd love to uh, hear what you guys have to say have you suggest things to us but sign up for our newsletter Remember, that's only going to be once a week. The other stuff will just be on the website. Um, but anyways, if you want to go over to iTunes and give us a five-star review, that would be fabulous. So we are on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, iHeart. Is it iHeartRadio or iHeartMedia? I can't remember what it is. But we're everywhere. The The, the podcast makes its way everywhere. And over at ricochet.com, of course, we are part of that podcast network. So please go over there and uh, leave us a comment. We like comments. So... Also, we are on Facebook, as I said, we're on Facebook.com slash Smart Girl Politics and at, on Twitter at Official SGP. So we're not leaving there, but we are just trying to expand the empire a little bit by adding in these other pieces. Maybe we'll even add more stuff. Who knows where this is going to end up? Uh, but if you want to follow Kira, she's at Real Kira Davis on Twitter and Facebook. So she has a Facebook page where you can follow all of her writing. She's at Red State. She's on Fox. She's super fancy. I'm just over on Twitter or I am going to be on Substack too. Um, I'm at Terry Kristoff. And I think that's it. No sponsors this week, but make sure your one action item is to, if you don't go give us a five star review, then at least go over to Substack and sign up over there and be part of that. And as always, thank you again, and we will talk to you next time on the Smart Girl Politics Podcast. Bye.